This podcast is brought to you by Church Society, a fellowship contending to reform and renew the Church of England in biblical faith. information about Church Society and all the things that we do on our website churchsociety.org. You'll also find there the full archive of the podcast. Welcome back to the Church Society podcast and I'm joined today uh, by Ros Clark, the Associate Director of Church Society and by Kirsten Burkett who is Director of Publications and I'm the Director. Hello, welcome everybody and uh, today we're going to be discussing this marvellous new book called Human, Made and Remade in the Image of God. And it's by somebody called Ros Clark. That's oh, you, Ros. No, it is me. You're right. Yes. Congratulations on the publication of your new book by IVP, available in all good bookshops, wherever you buy your uh, books. Yes. Uh, this is all so. about being if, human. If it's not technically out until the 22nd of June. And I feel like this podcast may be going out a few days before that. So don't panic if your good bookshop hasn't yet got it in. It can be ordered and we're building anticipation and eagerness for people to get hold of this. And it is all about being human. So uh, there are 15 shortish chapters. It's very easy to read, actually, Rosa. I've been reading it and I found it very easy to read. It's a good bedtime read. Short sentences, easy, easy, easy vocabulary. Um, I haven't struggled. Um, and even most of the chapters are about, uh, say, being human means. It's, um, it's as easy yeah. as John Owen, isn't it, in its language, I think? No, no, John Owen's far more difficult. It's like a piece of roughly dashed off translation of thinking done in Ciceronian Latin. But yours is like fluid, fluent English that is... It's, lucid prose that just jumps off the page um and it's about being um created it's about being in the image of god um being human means being men and women i love the way you just go straight for the difficult issues so we're hardly you know we're hardly 30 or 40 pages into the book and we're dealing with transgenderism and things like this and you and abortion and some big issues like that but um it's thoroughly biblical throughout, which I've really appreciated. So it's it's peppered with texts from scriptures, which you then expound and, and show us the, the meaning of and how they apply to us. Um, I love that you talk about being human means being sexual, and it also means being a sinner and being mortal. Uh, so these things, you know, they need to be unpacked in a world which is very unsure about what being human is and where we think today that we can mould ourselves and we can make human uh, into something that we want it to be rather yeah. than as a given uh, thing so are we going to spend all half an hour of the podcast you just telling me all the good things about my book or are we, <laughs> i'm just trying to give readers a, a taste of what the book is about tell us Ros, how it came about how how's the book come about what's it for who is it for well um just over a year ago i had covid quite badly um and had sort of two or three weeks where i could barely get out of bed And during that time, I got an email from IVP uh, and Keswick Ministries to say, I believe they they publish a book every year in conjunction with the main theme of the Keswick Convention that year. And they had somebody lined up to write the book for 2023. But for good reason, he'd had to pull out. And would I do it? And from my sort of COVID-infected 
what felt at the time like my deathbed, I I had to write back and say, I literally cannot even understand the sentence. So I can't reply to anything. And so a few weeks later, when I was feeling a little bit more alive again, um, I talked to them and they talked about what they had in mind for the book and the sort of uh, urgency of it because somebody had dropped out and would I do it. And it wasn't a thing I previously thought, oh, I must write a book about that. But the more I began to think about it at that point, the more I'm like, yeah, I have some things I really want to say about this. And I think it's really important. And so I went back to them with an outline of the book, more or less as it ended up um, with those sort of two sections, really thinking about how humanity was originally created. And then obviously how humanity uh, is following uh, the fall, but what the future of humanity is uh, as modeled for us in Christ and as promised to us through the gospel. And so you say it's very biblical, but actually it was very obvious to me <laughs> that the place to start is Genesis 1. And the first section of the book, I can't remember, the first six or seven chapters, literally just work through those chapters of creation with each thing that we learn about humanity. So as you say, beginning with being created, that we're created men and women, we're created body and soul, we're created to work and so on and so on. And yeah. inevitably, the big questions that people are asking in society today just come out of that you know if you're thinking about well god created male and female well what does that say to that big issue of transgender today or you know those politicians who get asked what is a woman and and find themselves literally unable to answer it without tying themselves in knots and mm -hmm. so much of that is just there if we accept the fact that actually the place we have to start in learning about what it means to be human is not by looking at ourselves but by looking to god and, and if he made human, human beings, he is the one who can tell us what human beings are and what they're for and how they work and so on. And so that's where we need to look for our own. That was a really good point you made that we, we can look in ourselves to find out something about ourselves, but it doesn't necessarily tell me everything about humanity because I might be unique. I might be the only one who is like this or feels like this or does this or whatever. So we mm. need more than just looking in at ourselves. Yeah. Um, Very much so. yeah. and I think, you know there's a, there's something really exciting about finding someone with whom you share things in common and for those of us who are a bit weird that's been one of the really wonderful things about the internet is I can find the six other people in the world who read the same books I do and love them for the same reasons I do and we have something amazing in common there but, are other people as weird as you out there Ross are you saying? and you suddenly realize gosh I really am weird because the whole of the internet and there's really only five of us but you know um, and that's really, but as you say, those aren't actually the things that then define humanity. They're the things that make me individual and unique, but they aren't the things that we all share. And I think a lot of modern discussion and debate really fails on this point because individual experience is taken as normative in a way that we just don't know is true. That one person may feel that way, but that isn't something that we can say, but that defines then how all of humanity is and should therefore be ordered in that sort of way. It's your yeah. individual uniqueness, um, not your common humanity. It's, it's great as well because there's a good bit on page 39 when you're talking about 
being human being means being made for work mm. i've just highlighted in mine <clears throat> where you say whatever you are doing in a job it should be done intentionally and diligently and i was just thinking of quoting that to you in a staff meeting in the future if i need to yeah. we've got to have a performance review quite soon <laughs> i mean i i mostly do things intentionally diligence i once won a prize when i was about 10 for diligence and i went home and told my father that i'd won this prize and he thought it was hilarious <laughs> then i said well what is diligence and he told me and yeah i thought that was quite funny as well it's never been my great uh, strength is i want to ask kirsty if the, she has any reflections on the, the the book itself any particular chapter that struck you something um that that you find insightful or that you want to take issue with Roz about maybe i don't know no i i think the book is exactly what's needed at the moment um just to say no there there are answers there no there is a god who knows what we're about who who knows the reasons for these things and and what we should be doing uh, because i think part of the very problem that we're in such a confusion well you know in the western world is because we've thoroughly rejected this idea that we are created Mm -hmm. uh, and either you say, uh, you know, you go for the whole evolutionary thing, oh, it's totally random, but that just leads to nihilism. And, you know, it's a great blessing that very few people actually live with the consequences of being a totally random being. But what, what's, where they... what's nihilism for those who are not um, familiar with it? Did you just say nihilism? Is it something said... about being called Neil or what, what do you mean? Uh, I, I never thought of that. I now feel sorry for everyone called Neil. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we pronounce it like that in the UK. No, I think I would say um, oh, nihilism. I would nihilism. say, but nihilism yeah. is a acceptable. Nihilism, N-I-H-I-L. So it's the Latin for nihil, so, you know, yeah. the Latin for nothing. For so nothing. So nothingism. Nothingism. Yeah. So there, there's no meaning. Uh, it's it's all purely random. There are no moral standards. There's no reason why I should do anything uh, or to stop me from doing anything. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I, I think we're very uh, we're all very glad that not many people actually live that way because, mm. you know, you, you could just go out and commit mass murder and what does it matter? You know, there's no meaning to any of it. Uh, what most people do is say, no, I, I create my own meaning because it's so hard to live without meaning at all. You say, well, I create my own. And so I create myself and I, I mold myself as I feel I should be. But, but Ros, what, uh, what do you think is the key thing the, the difference that is made by knowing that we are created, what do you think is the, the key difference that makes? I think um, for me, it's about knowing that I'm not, I'm not in charge. I'm not independent. I'm not in control. And um, we were talking about this in the, the podcast uh, on living without fear, actually, weren't we? That, um, you know, one of the things that, we see so so prevalent in society at the moment is anxiety and is fear and that so much of that stems from thinking we must be able to run our own lives and manage things and be responsible and be in control and yet we're not whereas if I know that I am created I know that there is a God who is bigger than me a God who um who is in control a God who I can trust and I can say, I don't have to be that person. Mm. I don't have to be the one responsible for making everything work out or for making everybody happy or for, you know, providing for the people that I love or, 
or whatever i i can look to god who made me and say okay well you're in charge you tell me what to do and i'll do it and i'll trust that that that's the best way for me to be i don't have to then spend my life worrying about have i got the answer to those questions right you know would i be happier if i dressed up as a boy or would i be happier if i i don't know you know started a sexual relationship with another woman or would i be happier if i did this or that or the other i can just say well actually i know what would be better for me i mean it might not make me happier in the moment because theology but um but i know what would be better mm. for me is to look at what god has said about what being a human means and how to live in the best way as a human being and so it's very freeing it's very um comforting you know there's a great relief i think in realizing i'm not in control and that's okay mm. because i'm not in control but god is yeah and, and that's huge i think for so many people because it's terribly unstable being your own creator isn't it <laughs> i mean i i know uh, the, the further I get along in life, I think all the mistakes I've made, if I were defining myself, what possible confidence could I have that I was getting it right? Yeah. And and what if I suddenly realized tomorrow, oh, it's completely wrong. It's all changed. What do I do then? Or, get... you know, or if it were the thing I could just change at whim, you know, <laughs> I could decide that the most important thing in my own is that I'm a, an emo goth. Mm. Great. And then next year, maybe I'll decide, oh, do you know, I don't think I am. I think I'm really a, you know, geeky scientist. And that's really who I am. Or Sorry, just in the interest of those who didn't know what nihilism was, we might also need to define em emu goth. What was that? <laughs> Emo goth. You'll have seen oh. them. They're the teenagers who dress in black and have greasy hair. Thank um, you for explaining I that. mean, you know, that's my stereotype. Do you also want to know about the nerdy scientist? Or have you got that? I think I can generally understand what a nerdy scientist is. So are you telling us that these are previous phases that you went through in your life, Ros? You were, no, you... I've never had a goth phase. Yet? I mean, yet, absolutely. Nothing you, would surprise me. I mean, still come. But <clears throat> those things aren't my identity. You know, the fact that I choose to dye my hair. I mean, it's fun and I like pink, but I'm not defined by that. And I'm, you know, in the opening to the book, and I think about, you know, how do I introduce this book about being human? We're all human. What on earth can I say? And I thought, well, actually, I think the big question is we don't know how to find our identity or how to define our identity. And so if you read the introduction, you'll find that actually what I do is try and introduce myself in mm -hmm. a number of different ways. I introduce myself according to the things that I do. I introduce myself according to the people I'm related to. Um, and then I introduce myself the way that I think God might introduce me with my status as a human being, as a created human being, as a sinful human being, but also as a saved human being, a redeemed human being with hope and, um, and with the Holy Spirit and, and so on. And, and that's where my identity is. You know, I don't have to go looking inside myself or outside myself because actually I know what my identity is because it is given to me by the God who made me and the God who saved me. I think this is really helpful because I, I, when I first picked up the book, there's nothing on the back of the book. You know, you turn to the back of the book normally and there's a picture of the author and a little biography to say who they are and what they do and what and so yeah, on. There's and so no forth. picture of me. 
There's no picture of you. There's a picture of your previous book with IVP, 40 women available at all good bookshops. Um, but the, and there isn't even a sort of Ros Clark is. And I thought, oh, it's just not going to say anything about who Ros is. And, and, you know, there's no plug for church society. But then as soon as you get to page one, uh, it's all about who you are. And I love the way that you define, you say that, you know, there, there are different ways that you can be defined and talked about. And then on page two, but how would God actually see me? Um, and so that was really helpful because actually I was intrigued by the fact that it was nothing on the back of the book itself. And that, you know, as I got into the book, that was more explained. In the current situation in the Church of England, it is increasingly important for churches to be able to clearly identify themselves as faithful to the Bible, faithful to historic Anglican teaching and faithful on the pressing issues of today, including, of course, matters of gender and sexuality. We hope that identifying as a church society partner church will be an easy way for churches to make that public commitment and to know that they are part of a wider fellowship of churches around the country. Partner churches commit to praying for church society and making a financial donation towards our work. They will have access to a dedicated section of the website full of resources for churches to use and will be able to call on church society staff for advice and support. More information about becoming a partner church is available on our website and by contacting the office. We hope that you will join us in our work of contending to reform and renew the Church of England in biblical faith. Uh, another thing that's interesting in here is that you are gently, without making it um, heavy or anything, you're, you're gently teaching us a theological method throughout this book. So there is a, a theological structure to it. We start with creation and then fall. What happens to us at the fall um, of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3? What, what does sin do to us as humans? And then you look at being redeemed in Christ, um, what difference that makes. And you conclude with, you know, we're made for eternal life. We're, we're made for eternity. And there's a new creation. So we're going from creation to fall, redemption in Christ and new creation. And, and that structure holds the book together and and, uh, and gives it a, a, an outline and a framework. Just tell us about that. Do you, was that deliberate or did that just fall out naturally? Or um, And do you think that's a useful structure for other pieces of theologizing? I, I do and I don't. So I was a little bit nervous about that structure. So like I say, when I started thinking about would I write the book and what I might say, the obvious place for me to start was creation because that's how we see how God made humanity. And we know that then... Um, that structure of the, the sort of great narrative of the Bible with the fall and then uh, redemption and then our, our future affects how we exist now as human beings. You know, sin has an impact on every single one of us and the way that humanity is experienced uh, by us and, and experienced within a, a broken and fallen world. And we know that um, in Christ we see full true humanity demonstrated for us but also through the gospel we are invited to participate in that with him and we're redeemed and and we experience in the future in the new creation the fullest truest humanity that there will be 
So it seemed to me that that was a structure that was very important for our understanding of human beings and who we are and where we are within that. But I will admit to some nervousness because I think I've been quite rude in the past about Christian books that all follow exactly the same pattern, that all feel the need to tell us about creation and the fall and then redemption and and um, uh, eschatology in the future. And I just think that although that is the Bible's narrative, we can end up telling that story very mechanistically. And actually the way the Bible puts it is not mechanistic at all. And it, it tells us that story in multiple ways um, through its own narrative. It tells us in the form of a drama. It tells us in the form of a romance. It tells us in the form almost of a, a mystery or a, you know, all sorts of ways that it, it puts those things together. And they're very, you know, personal and emotional as as well as, you know, fulfilling sort of legal um, aspects and, and so on. So I, I, I didn't automatically assume that that was how I wanted to structure this book, but it seemed quite important in the end to structure this book in that sort of way. And I do think that it's important as we think about the gospel and as we think about how we're explaining the gospel to people, that we can do that from a whole range of different perspectives, um, that we don't have to say it the same way every time, because it is wonderfully simple that even a child can understand, but it's also wonderfully rich and complex and, um, and deep and relates to us in different ways at different times. And the gospel in terms of how God redeems humanity is wonderful but if that's the only way we tell the gospel it ends up it can end up being god did this for me that mm -hmm. the gospel is about me um whereas actually the gospel is about the lord so yes and no is my answer <laughs> very nuanced and careful. i know i know <laughs> but i do want it to be a book that points to christ more than to us and i think you know how do we know what it means to be a human being the best way is to know christ Yes, and you say that very clearly and very helpfully, yeah. So, Ros, how how do you think you you answer people who say, well, well, fair enough, we're meant to be new, like Christ, but Christ was a man. I'm not a man, and so I'm not meant to be like Christ in that way. And and Christ died for humanity, and I don't die for humanity. So what, how does that actually help us saying that we're meant to be like Christ? Yeah, Jesus yeah. was single, which you say, and I'm a married man with kids, so yeah, it was well, easy for no him. Time. Easy yeah. for him being single, and he had all that time on his hands. He could obviously well, care for the poor and be compassionate and so on. Uh, I think one I of the things, that. no good. Uh, one of the things I think is really important for us to learn from that is that those things are not fundamental to humanity. Being married, for example, is not fundamental to being human. You can be truly and fully human as a single person because so was Jesus. You can be truly and fully human without ever having sex, because so did Jesus, without ever having children, because so did Jesus. So those things which we might think, gosh, that's really fundamental to humanity. Oh, wait, maybe I need to rethink that, because I can look at Jesus and see he didn't experience that. He didn't do that. He is a man. Absolutely. And one of the things that we see there is it is really fundamental to humanity that we have a sex, that we are male or female. 
and that that is not arbitrary. He didn't go around and say one day, oh, you know what, today I'm going to be known as whatever, I don't know, Jesus year. And, you know, I'm going to put on a, a dress and experience my feminine side. He was male and all human beings are male or female because that's how God makes us, male or female. And we know that in the fallen world, there are occasionally people whose bodies are such that that's not as easy to determine. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, it doesn't mean those things don't exist or aren't real. And we see that in Jesus. He, he takes a, a gender. He takes a sex. So I think we don't follow Christ in his, in his humanity by living the same circumstances as him. We none of us are born in first century Palestine. You know, we none of us are the son of God either. Not, you know, we, most of us are not called to a, a life of itinerant preaching ministry. Certainly none of us are called to give our lives to save humanity. So in what way do we follow in the likeness of Christ? Well, we look at his life and we see what does he embody? Well, he embodies all the characteristics of godliness in human form. So, for example, the, the fruit of the spirit, he is loving and joyful and peaceful. He's patient and kind and good. He's gentle. He's faithful. He's certainly self-controlled. How do I know what those things look like? Well, I can see them in the way that he relates to other people, in the way that he goes about his ministry, in the way that he cares for his family, in the priorities that he has in his life. So those are the things that I need to look at and see. How do I see his humanity? That's what I need to work out, how to apply that in my circumstances of life, which will be different from his, whether I'm female or married or, you know, 75 that he never was and, and so on. Um, not by trying to imitate, I guess, the, mm -hmm. the particularities uh, of being him. Yeah. That's interesting because I have seen some um, feminist theologians online recently denying that Jesus was a man. Yeah. And I didn't quite understand that because it seems extremely obvious to me from the scriptures. I mean, even the creed says, and he was made man. Yeah. Um, so, but they, they want to actually remove that and say jesus wasn't a man and that does all sorts of weird things not just to your reading of the bible and the christian tradition but it does weird things to your to your understanding of, of everything um but you don't think that we have to deny the maleness of jesus in order to be followers of christ and to learn from him and imitate him so that i think maybe there's more of an issue for for men in this in that our relationship with Christ. So there's one sense in which we're like Christ, but also we're to relate to Christ. And one of, not the only metaphor, but one of the metaphors the Bible uses to help us understand that is that we're to be his bride. Now, that's relatively easy, I guess, for Kirsty and I to Im imagine being somebody's bride and possibly slightly harder for you, Lee. Yes. <laughs> and yes. You, so we have to understand metaphorically as Christians, we're, we are all imaged in a in a female way in scripture yeah. we're to be like our bride our bridegroom christ but we are to be his bride so again i think we're in a position where we can see how it's not that that sex and gender don't exist and in the metaphor they, they're very important they demonstrate our likeness but also our unlikeness to christ um but that our our gender you know whether you happen to be male or female 
is not a thing that defines your humanity. If you're part of the bride of Christ as a human, then you are whether you're male or female. Mm. That was a great question, Kirsty. Oh, good, good. So, uh, <laughs> Roz, remind us what the book is called again. Uh, it's called Human, Made mm -hmm. and Remade in the Image of God. And where, where are we going to be able to buy this? Who publishes it? Uh, so it's IVP. Uh, it's available at all good Christian bookshops. You can pre-order it. It is available for pre-order on Amazon. But judging by what happened with 40 women, those pre-orders may take a while to fulfill. So my top recommendation would be to have a look at somewhere like 10 of those or eden.co.uk or come to Keswick this summer. And I imagine there will be plenty on the bookstall there. And you will also be able to hear me uh, if you're there in week three, uh, talking about being human in the morning seminars. And Natalie Brand says on the cover of the book that it's super readable, relevant in content, clear in style. And I agree with her in that uh, in that judgment. Yes. Good. Kirsty, did you have anything else you wanted to grill Roz on while we've got her here to talk about this book? I just want to say, Roz, give us a vision of the end. What are we heading to? What's the eternal uh, life we're heading to? Oh, uh, well, I mean, those were some of the best chapters to write, the last two or three chapters. Um, the vision of what humanity is going to be when it is displayed in all its fullness and we get to experience it without um, the barriers of sin and the problems of the world and the frustrations of this life. So one of the chapters uh, near the end is a chapter about being that new humanity with people from every tribe and tongue and nation and how amazing that will be and how um, we could do better now in our churches to be um, embodying some of what that will be like and not just you know, working out how we can be multicultural or intercultural, but actually how we celebrate um, one another's cultures and one another's languages and one another's uh, nations and and rejoice that God has given us that diversity, not just kind of think of it as a problem that we've got to work out somehow, but actually how great it is and how, you know, if, if a couple walk into your church and they're from a country you've never met anyone from before, maybe you've got asylum seekers or maybe you've got people who are here to study or work from somewhere else, just what a joy that should be and and to hear their stories of how God has been faithful to them. Um, one of my favorite verses uh, has always been um, that bit in Ephesians 4 about how we grasp together with the saints how long and, and high and wide and deep God's love is. Mm -hmm. Because my experience of God's love is pretty limited. But if you tell me your experience of God's love and you tell me your experience of God's love and you tell me what it was like being loved by God in China or Taiwan or Iran or whatever, my experience, my understanding of God's love suddenly deepens and broadens in whole new ways. And that's wonderful. And then, of course, um, we get to what that will really be like in the new creation. Um, and it will just be the most glorious, most um, wonderful thing. Um, the pictures that we're given of the banquet and the pictures of the, the land um, just suddenly bursting into life mm -hmm. um i just i maybe i'll just read you a little bit from the end here it's hard to imagine what an eternity of life will be like in the new heavens and the new earth 
it's hard to understand how it'll be continually satisfying and interesting and we won't grow bored. Those of us who sometimes tune out towards the end of a longer than usual church service may be wondering how we will manage to keep praising God forever. You know, <laughs> Sunday morning is too much. What are we mm -hmm. going to do? But it won't be boring or repetitive. We won't be grumbling and moaning, looking back to this side and wishing we could indulge ourselves in our old habits of sin and selfishness. We will finally be living our best lives. We will be the people we were made to be and we will be with God. And I think, you know, whatever struggles people have today with life, whatever questions they struggle with, whether it's identity or sex or all sorts of things, just to understand that one day, one day, we won't have those. Being human is not fundamentally about being a sinner. Mm -hmm. Being human is not fundamentally about struggling and, and being frustrated and all the things that, that bear us down now. Being human will fundamentally be about rejoicing forever, together, and it will be glorious. Wonderful. What a, what a great what a great vision you give us there. Oh, man, indeed. And that seems to be a good place to stop this heresy half hour. No, no, human, <laughs> human half hour. So just get confused there. Uh, a good good place to stop this half hour talking about being human. Thank you, uh, Kirsty. And thank you, Roz, author of Human Made and Remade in the Image of God. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Church Society podcast. You can find the whole podcast archive on our website, churchsociety.org. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your usual podcast app. And we'd love it if you were able to leave a review or give us a rating over there as well. Mm -hmm.